Hello, it's Friday, January the 21st, and this is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. The singer Meatloaf, whose album Bat Out of Hell is one of the biggest selling of all time, has died at the age of 74. I'm talking to the Daily Mail's music critic about his legacy. Also, we're talking about the symptoms which some people get after the jab, headaches and tiredness. They're actually caused by something called the nocebo effect. Schools, a hundred of them already, have defied the government and said that they're going to tell parents that children must continue to wear masks. I'm talking to the chairman of the campaign for real education who says children should defy the teachers. But first, Prince Andrew, as if he hasn't already got enough on his plate, he's now got a former employee who sold her story and she's telling all about what a nightmare the demanding and entitled Duke of York was to work for. I suspect it's going to be the least of his worries. So as if Prince Andrew hasn't got enough on his plate embroiled in a huge and embarrassing international court case. Now, it seems, a former employee, a maid at Buckingham Palace, has been telling tales about what he's like to work for. Apparently, Prince Andrew used to regularly force her to run up four flights of stairs to close his curtains as he sat right next to them. Charlotte Briggs, who worked for him at Buckingham Palace, said she was often left in tears by the demanding and entitled Duke of York. So what do we make of it? I'm joined now by Ingrid Seward, who's Editor-in-Chief at Majesty magazine. Ingrid, is it open season now on Prince Andrew? It does seem to be. I mean, they're, they, they're calling for him to be evicted from his home. The city of York don't want him as Duke of York anymore. Um, I think it is open season on Prince Andrew, and I actually think it's a bit unnecessary, quite honestly. I mean, the man, you know, is, it's not been proven yet to be guilty of anything other than arrogance. So I do yeah. think it's a bit unfair. Very, very unfair, actually. Yeah, she, she sold her story to the son. We presume she sold it. And she used to said he used to yell at her. Um, she worked for other members of the royal family, such as Charles, uh, Prince Edward, and they were completely charming by comparison. I mean, we've always known that Prince Andrew's had a reputation for being high-handed and arrogant, but I've never heard anything like this before, Ingrid. No, um, no, it, it's it's pretty unpleasant um, way of behaving. And then I was, I was, you know, the, then the, I mean, it, it's a great story. It's a great yeah. story for all of us. But I mean, very unpleasant for him to have this kind of story going around. And then I, uh, there's another part of it when the, they had a, a, a terrier called Bendix. I remember that actually when they when they were first married. And apparently Bendix bit this poor this poor maid, and. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, and and you know she was quite badly hurt and had to have a tetanus injection. And then Andrew, Andrew apparently thought that was frightfully funny. That I can understand more because that would be his sort of ha 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 sense of humour. I thought I find the the arrogance uh, very unpleasant. His arrogance, you know, making this this girl come up and you know pull the curtains when he was sitting right by them. I thought, I mean, I actually have been to that apartment and seen the teddies. Yes, because he's got uh, in, six, about five or six teddies on the bed, hasn't he, or something? Yeah, well, I was there in 1990, I think, because I was doing a book with Fergie, and she showed me round their apartment, which used to be Prince Charles's. And I saw all these teddies, and I said, Fergie, I don't believe it. Why have you bought all your childhood teddies here? She said, no, 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 they're not mine, they're Andrew's. Incredible, incredible. And of course, according to this woman, if, he didn't, if she didn't put them on the bed, once she'd made the bed in exactly the right order... 
he'd shout and have a hissy fit about that too. Well, that's, I suppose, yes. I mean, he's a, he was a spoiled child. I mean, that's the only thing you can really deduce from this is that he's used to getting his own way. He always has. It doesn't mean he's a nasty person. Now, I do feel that I have to put something positive in about Andrew. Yeah. He, he's arrogant, he's aloof, and he's entitled, but he's not a nasty person. He's perhaps unpleasant to, to work for, but I don't think it makes him an evil person. No. Um, what, what do you think he'll, how do you think he'll react to this? Um, because it's very unusual, isn't it, for a former employee of the royal household to um, kiss and tell in this way? Because this is what it is. It's a good old fashioned kiss and tell in a red top paper like the sun. Oh, no, we've seen plenty of these. There's been a lot of uh, uh, former royal staff who's done this. Um, and I suppose we'll probably see a lot more. But this this lady who who, who was a, a maid at Buckingham Palace probably left before they bought these very strict uh, privacy laws in, you know, where they have to sign all kinds of uh, yes. documents. And it made it much, much harder. But, you know, she was probably there before all that happened. I remember, do you remember when Princess Anne's cleaner or maid or something uh, sold all her love letters to the son? And that's, that's, right, when the, that, that's when the, that's when you know before she was married. I mean, yeah. she was still married to to Mark Phillips at the time. Yes, so that that's was a huge right. scandal. So this 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 is not unusual. No, and it's 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 titivation. It's not serious. Um, uh, he's got a lot more on his plate to worry about than whether he ordered his maid, if we can still use those words, to run up and down the stairs because he couldn't be bothered to close the curtains himself. Yes, I mean it's arrogant. I mean, I think what, what we've got to say about Andrew is. He's not yet been proven guilty of, no, of the worst things, but um, his character is not, you know, it's, it's not looking good. So everyone wants to take him down in bits. Yeah, it's all, it also makes you wonder, Ingrid, what he would be like if he if he was to go in the witness box in this court case with Virginia Dufresne. Do you think he'd be a very sympathetic witness? He was pretty awful in that Newsnight interview, wasn't he? I think he'd be a disaster. They've got to yes. keep him out of court. Absolute <laughs> disaster. Yes. Yeah. Because he would just, um, because, uh, yeah, we, we, just because he is what he is. That's the point. He would be dreadful. He would be dreadful. He would. Be dreadful. It's my hunch is he's going to settle. And, and apparently, so I was reading probably in the mail, that 95% of these cases are settled out of court. And then she can, she, you know, it doesn't mean she's going to get her millions of dollars because then she'd have to bring the case back to the UK. And all of this is, is quite complicated when it's the jurisdiction of America and a completely different jurisdiction here. Absolutely. Fascinating, Ingrid. And we'll no doubt be talking to you again about it. So that's Ingrid Seward, who is the uh, editor-in-chief at Majesty Magazine, talking about... H I was just about to say HRH, Duke of York, but we don't call him HRH now. Ingrid, do he's just plain old Prince Andrew. Well, he's, he's still the Duke of York. Still the Duke of York, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Plain old Duke of York. Plain old Duke of York, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you. Ingrid Seward, thanks again. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show for free and in full, along with our other podcasts and video series. Remember to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. So more than 100 schools and the numbers rising have defied the government over face masks in the classroom and have written to parents to say children must continue to wear them. The trade unions are also protesting over the absence of masks in the classroom because they think their members, the teachers, will be potentially put at risk. However, the Education Secretary Nadim Sahawi insisted 
all schools should ban his face masks so that children can enjoy what he calls a normal experience in the classroom. I'm joined now by Chris McGovern, who's chairman of the campaign for real education. Chris, um, whose side are you on? The, te- the schools who are saying, no, to- no, we've got to keep the masks or the education secretary? I'm on the side of the children and certainly what's ah, good answer. In, the, in the best, best interests of the children is that there should not be masks in school. Masks are an impediment to learning. It's quite obvious that if you can't t- see a face and often we depend on facial expression for communication, you're going to suffer. And some children, particularly those who are hard of hearing, have problems of causing lip reading them if their face is covered and so forth. So, no, it, what's in the interests of the children quite obviously it is not to have face masks in school and also for their mental health. You know, this is really quite concerning when children are wearing these muzzles in the classroom. What effect does that have on their their lifestyle? So it really has a bad impact all around. We've got to get rid of those masks as soon as possible. The rest of society is, why aren't schools getting rid of their masks? Or most schools are, of course, but some aren't. And I'm just looking at the, the latest data from the UK Health Security Agency. The rate of new COVID cases among primary school children rose 41% 41% in the week of January the 16th. I suppose that's why the head teachers are, I'm not going to use the word panicking, but are fretting or worrying and, and telling, teach, telling parents that they're going to keep the mask in place. Well, they might be saying that and they might be panicking or they might be picking a fight with the government. But look, yeah, a lot of people have had, had the virus, but not many children are actually very, very seriously affected by this. The vast majority of children are far more affected in a damaging way by the lockdown of schools, by having to wear face masks, by falling behind in their learning. So, yes, there are, and there's an element of risk, but there's an element of risk in crossing the road. And, and we still, we take that risk. But, uh, yes, there are, there are some problems. They are, and look, I'm not on, I was a teacher for 35 years, for heaven's sake. I sat on the TUC, I'm a trade unionist. But what I'm most interested in now, of all times, We've got to do something to help these children, both their academic uh, education and their mental health and their well-being and also family life. We cannot go on with the teaching profession being some sort of exception. The rest of society are getting on with the life, getting on with jobs. You go to the supermarket, they're working. You you even go to sports events, you you, you can go into pubs and so forth. We've got to get on with our lives and we've got to get children back into school in normal conditions and take the pressure off them. Yes, I understand. I was a teacher for many, many years. So I do understand that there may be some particular cases where teachers need some protection. But as far as children are concerned, let them be children. Let them talk to each other. Let's see their mouth. Let's see them smiling. Let's take away the oppression. You know, we're out of the black death now. This is this is getting into a situation where it's absurd and most people understand what I'm saying let kids have the freedom to see each other and to see the teacher in your view what should happen here because the government are indicating they won't force schools to uh, ban the mask in the classroom uh, but they say it's got to be a decision for the head teacher or the local education authority that was um do you think that's right or should the secretary of state impose from whitehall well i was a head teacher so i'm very much in favor of head teachers making those decisions i wouldn't want to be imposing on head teachers, those sorts of rules. But I would, I would say is many children are refusing to wear the mask. They were refusing to wear the mask last week and the week before because there's no requirement. You can't force a child to wear a mask. And though I'm not calling for resurrection revolution in the classrooms, what I'm saying is that children actually are free to make those decisions, whatever the school may say. And if the schools start suspending children because they're not wearing masks, then there'll be an even bigger round. Look, schools are families. They need to work together. And we've got to use some common sense in all of this. So what I would say to head teachers, look, we're getting into an endemic. We're out of this real crisis now. And mo- mostly children aren't damaged by this. So 
be reasonable. What's in the best interest of the children? It is that we get away with the mask. If we start to have some proper communication between the teachers and the children. So, look, I wouldn't be forcing head teachers. No, you, you can't do that. They aren't, schools, at the end of the day, have to make their own decisions. But young people, they don't have to wear these masks. So, you know what they can do? They can leave them off and tell the school to force them to wear them if they want. But they're not allowed to do that. That will be fascinating. <clears throat> and I wonder if that's going to happen. That's um, Chris McGovern. He's chairman of the Campaign for Real Education. Thanks for my, very much for joining us. So visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to our podcast, videos, opinion pieces and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. So two thirds of symptoms such as headaches and tiredness, which have been reported after COVID vaccines, were actually caused by something called the nocebo effect, according to a new study. Now, the nocebo effect, as it, may, as it sounds similar to the placebo effect, but occurs when people expect negative symptoms. It's all new on me, so I'm going to find out now from somebody who knows a bit more about it, a lot more about it. That's Peter Sever, who's Professor of Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics at Imperial College London. Professor, um, we often get new descriptions of conditions. Um, the nocebo effect... Um, can you explain it? Uh, yes, actually, it's not a not a new phenomenon at all. It's right. been known. It's known for many many years, and it's simply the fact that when uh, you're given a, a tablet or, or or an injection by your doctor, and you and it's suggested to you that it may cause some side effects, there's a very strong likelihood that a number of patients will actually develop those side effects, but they're not necessarily due to the drug. It's the exact opposite of placebo effect, where uh, we know from many, many studies with many, many treatments that, that if it's suggested by the doctor that something that the patient is given is going to be beneficial, the patient experiences benefit, although it may not be due to the drug. And it's possible that this is an explanation for a lot of the benefits of alternative medicines. But, of course, that's another story. But in the case of this study with vaccinations, it's very, very important to appreciate that a lot of the people who receive the vaccinations, who develop side effects, they're not due to the vaccination itself because almost as many side effects occurred with the dummy vaccination. Right. Now, now this is all based on a study done by Harvard University. Now, um, is this possibly an important piece of research to show to people who are resisting having the vaccines? Because we know there's still, um, what, 10 or 12 percent of the country haven't had a va haven't had a jab. And maybe they are they, they've been convinced by various things they've read on the Internet that if they do get the jab, they're going to have some of these symptoms. Yeah, it is an extremely important study. As you say, uh, it needs to reassure people that a lot of the mild side effects, such as headaches and fatigue, are going to occur whether you get a dummy vaccine or whether you get a real vaccine. Um, now, we, we knew about this many years ago from the same story with statins. If you give statins against placebo in a blinded study, you cannot tell who's actually taking the statin. The side effect profile is exactly the same. But as soon as the patients know they're going to take the statin, there's about a 40% increase in side effects, particularly of muscle pains, and they are not due to the statin. So it's the same story, and it has been seen many, many times with different classes of drugs or vaccinations. And there is some suggestion too, isn't there, Professor, that some people have such anxiety about vaccines um, that they've almost made their, their body hyper, they've almost become hyper alert 
so that and they then therefore link unrelated issues to the jab yeah that's absolutely right now most of the side effects that these people experience they are real side effects I mean, it may be that they're driven by psychological factors, but they are real side effects. And you can, you can undertake sophisticated physiological tests and show that they are real. But what we do know is they're not due to the drug, either the statin, as I told you about, or in this case, the vaccination. So it's very important to reassure patients that they may get some of these side effects, but they're not due to the drug and they're not going to cause them any long lasting harm. I was going to say that's the other thing if it is headaches tiredness or something else that, that they're by their very nature transient aren't they they're not going to they're not going to stick around for long no that's absolutely right that's absolutely right i mean the only thing that really came out of this study and it was a very good study was that you're more likely to get discomfort around the the injection site if you have a real vaccine compared to a dummy vaccine but again that's something that goes away after a couple of days just finally, Professor, um, we are coming out of lockdown um, restrictions uh, next week. We, 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 the Prime Minister has told us all to get back to work, um, much less use of masks. Are you broadly in favour with, with what the government are doing on this? Yes, I, I'm broadly in favour. The only thing that I would say is that I think people must be sensible uh, and, and continue to wear masks if they're vulnerable or certainly if they, if they develop any symptoms. I mean, there are a lot of coughs and colds going around at the moment, and many of those are actually due to mild attacks of, of COVID vaccination. And I think people should protect themselves and protect others by wearing, wearing a mask, continuing to wear a mask if they feel vulnerable. Very interesting and very good advice. That's Peter Sever, who's Professor of Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics at Imperial College London. Thanks for joining us. Deputy Sports Editor Tim Nichols is here with the latest sports news. Uh, Tim, they're one of the biggest, most glamorous clubs in Europe, aren't they? The European champions too, but there are all sorts of problems at Chelsea. Well, they are the European champions and, you know, this season was meant to be the one where, having won the Champions League last season, they pushed on and, and uh, challenged Manchester City for the Premier League title. What is it? January the 21st and it looks like that dream has already died. Their league form has been pretty poor lately. They've taken just 12 points from the last 10 games. That's 30 available points. That's what did for Lampard at this time last year. It was pretty much exactly a year to the day where after a run of just 11 points from um, 10 games, Lampard found himself uh, out of a job at Chelsea. We know that Roman Abramovich is a, is a ruthless owner. He demands the very best for Chelsea and you can see how many trophies they've won since he bought the club. But um, the difference between the situation with Tuchel and Frank Lampard a year ago is Tuchel has that Champions League that you mentioned. He won that uh, last summer. That, that's obviously a, the biggest trophy you can win in club football. So that's bought him some time. Plus the fact that he does have enjoy a good relationship with the, the hierarchy at Chelsea. Whereas I think there was a with, with Frank Lampard, there was a, there was some, a few, uh, a little bit of tension towards the end. So. For now, Thomas Tuchel, there's certainly no suggestion that Thomas Tuchel is in any danger of losing his job at Chelsea, but things can change very, very quickly at that club. Like I said earlier, they're already out of the title race, really. I think even the most optimistic Chelsea fans would, would concede that. Uh, they have got a League Cup final to look forward to against Liverpool uh, next month, which is, which is something that they will obviously have their eye on winning. They're still in the Champions League. They've got a very important game this weekend against Tottenham. They've beat them three times already this season, home and away in the League Cup, which got them to that final against Liverpool. But this is the game they really want to win, Chelsea. 
It's Antonio Conte going back to Stamford Bridge, where he won the league title back in 2017. Not very popular amongst the Chelsea fans for going to Tottenham. Spurs can really close the gap on Chelsea, and then all of a sudden they, he will be under a bit more pressure, Tuchel, um, because as long as Chelsea are in the top four, Andrew, there's no problems really. But as soon as they look like they're in danger of that, that that's when Roman Abramovich starts to get a little bit uh, itchy trigger finger. They're not in the top four. They're not guaranteed European football. Well, if they're not in the top four, they won't be in the Champions League, which is essentially yeah. the be-all and end-all for the elite clubs. So that is absolutely okay. essential. I think and they'll be absolutely fine. They, they, but, you know, it's just not been... We expected them to push Manchester City closer this season and Liverpool, and it looks like they're going to fall away and, and probably end up a fairly distant third, which is, you know, not good enough by Chelsea's high standards. However, like I say, they're still in three cup competitions and one of those is a final. So, you know, could be more silverware heading Stamford Bridge's way this uh, this season. Very interesting. That's Deputy Sports Editor Tim Nichols with all the latest sports news. And of course, don't forget the mail tomorrow. It'll be packed, round, jam-packed with lots of sports exclusives as ever. Thanks for joining us. So the singer Meatloaf, whose album Bat Out of Hell is the fourth best-selling of all time, has died in the United States at the age of 74. He sold more than 100 million albums worldwide, and he also appeared in films like Fight Club, The Rocky Horror Picture Show and Wayne's World. I'm joined now by the Daily Mail's music critic, Adrian Thrills. Adrian, um, he was a larger-than-life character in more ways than one because he was a pretty physically imposing sight. Um, I hadn't quite realised just how many records he'd sold. He was he was huge in every sense of the word, and as you say, a larger than life character, and he, a phenomenal success. That that bat out of hell album alone, um, as you say, you know, I think it sold 43 million copies, and it had some there's some great songs on there. Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, you took the words right out of my mouth, uh, and it was all carried by this kind of incredibly powerful operatic voice. Um, he had incredible stage presence on the tours, and. Um, I think as his, his long-term collaborator, Jim Steinman, the American composer, yeah. who also sadly died last year, he kind of mm. summed it up with a, with a classic quote that I think we'll probably see a few times today that went along the lines of, if you don't go over the top, you can't see what's on the other side. Um, he said, I start from extreme and go from there. And it, they were, you know, they were larger than life songs. The, uh, the lyrics, you know, were, you know, the bat out of hell, heaven's gates, and um, it was all this, kind of very big theatrical stuff uh, but also allied you know to great tunes i mean you know you can you know some of his hits even after the bat out of hell album which which itself spawned a couple of sequels uh i mean there was dead ringer for love his his massive um 80s hit the show um you know uh, the uh often misunderstood um i'd do anything for love but i won't do that and of course people always ask him you know well, what was that and of course it's actually in the song it's um it's a whole host of things he wouldn't do which include never lying to you i'd never do it with anyone other than you that kind of thing but um you know a, a, you know a, a great um, character and a sad loss yeah and um he'd had a lot of health problems um hadn't he adrian but i guess that was partly because of his his weight he really was a big lad wasn't he i think as much as anything it was also his um his, his lifestyle and his, his attitude to performing. I mean, I think he he once had to tour in a wheelchair after he jumped off stage in Canada and broke a leg. Um, he broke a collarbone in a stage fall. Um, he had to cancel a tour in 2007 after 
developing a cyst on his vocal cords. Um, but he had this kind of old school attitude of an old school trooper. I mean, it was always a case of the show must go on. Hence, he would tour in a wheelchair. And um, I, mean, I think he did have health issues, but he, he kept he kept his private life pretty quiet. Actually, he he wasn't one to to court fame in the way that some stars perhaps do. He he kind of didn't like the kind of paparazzi life. Um, he, he found fame relatively late in life. I think he was thirty when Bat Out of Hell came out and he'd spent 10 years struggling in kind of off-Broadway shows. He was in the Rocky Horror Show on Broadway. Yes, he so, was, yeah. So he, he had a kind of a decent perspective on the um, on the whole kind of fickle nature of fame and he, he wasn't ever really sucked in by... Um, by kind of thinking he was anything special, even though, of course, on stage he was, he was this kind of extremely theatrical character. And um, like so many of these people, he came from a pretty ordinary background. And I know his father was an alcoholic, and um, after his mother died, he he got out of the family home, and 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 his career took off. He was the key to him. Was it the songs uh, as or as much as anything, Adrian? His voice, because he had the most extraordinary voice. He had incredible range, and uh, and as you say, he came from a, he came from a very troubled background. I think he, mm. uh, as you say, his father was an alcoholic. He he's gone on record saying his his dad once tried to kill him with a knife, and uh, but he, you know, and even his attitude to something as traumatic was that as that was you kind of you can't blame your parents for how you turn out. It's it's down to you to kind of uh, to make of life what you can. And he had this um, even kind of. The fact that he was still making records, he made an album in 2016, he made a couple of really good records um, in the uh, late noughties. Um, and, you know, he, he, he was due actually to go back into the studio this month to make another record using a couple of, uh, a couple of songs that Jim Steinman had written. And, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if that record, you know, if there were demos that mean that record might ever materialise. But it would be... Um, yeah, it'd be sad if we don't hear any more records, any music yeah. from the vaults. But um, but if we do, he certainly leaves, you know, quite a hell of a legacy. No pun intended. Yeah, no, no, he certainly does. And um, and he was in. We we forget just how many films he was. In. He was in more than sixty films. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, the and obviously the Rocky Horror Show was that's going away where he cut his performing teeth and yeah, uh, um, you know, Fight Club. He was an all rounder. I mean, I think. When you're a performer as theatrical as as Meatloaf was, it's uh, it's understandable that you'd, you'd branch out into film and stage. I think he also he did a bit of stand-up comedy, and yeah, he, he was he was an excellent raconteur. Yeah, well, he'll be much missed, um, Adrian. Thank you for that. That's um, Meat singer Meatloaf, whose album best known for "Bat Out of Hell," fourth best-selling album of all time, has died at the age of 74. That was the Daily Mail's music critic Adrian Thills. <laughs> That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm, you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back on Monday. Have yourselves a great weekend and good night. <laughs>